When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. This is episode 50 of the show, and we are brought to you this week by HealthyMoving.com. Later in today's show, we'll hear from Jen Hoffman of Healthy Moving, who took the time to sit down with me so we could explore more of the mission behind Healthy Moving and why it just might be your next Awesome of the Week, or maybe even your Awesome of the Year. That is coming up later in today's show. This week, I'm joined by our favorite Hollywood housewife, Laura Tremaine, and we are going back to our roots with another listener question and answer episode. These have been some of our favorite and often our most interesting episodes, the ones where we take your questions and share our thoughts with you. And so today, I'm asking Laura a few more of your questions about life in Los Angeles how to act like a normal human being when you cross paths with a celebrity, and other things like what it means exactly to feel more comfortable in your skin as you move into your 30s. We'll talk about how we've grown and changed since we were younger women, as well as some of the solutions we found for problems that pop up when you live far away from your family. So we're going to get to all of that later, but first, we'll start the show the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Laura, what do you have this week? Hey, guys, 50 episodes. Can you believe it? It's huge. So exciting. It's very exciting. Okay, my awesome of the week is a little bit of a throwback in that it's something that I started using in high school and rediscovered. Okay, let's hear it. It's a makeup product. I just want to give fair warning that I try and use and love a lot of different makeup stuff. So if you hear me recommend one thing on another show and a different thing on a different show, it doesn't mean I didn't like the first thing. I like lots of stuff. You like lots of things. You have a pretty expansive beauty collection. (laughs) I do. And I like to try new things and I like to tell people about them. But I do pretty much make myself, you know, use it and like it for like a month or something before I recommend it. I'm not haphazard about my recommendations, but they are varied, if you will. So the thing I'm excited about right now is a foundation for my skin that has been around for ages and ages, and it's Revlon Colorstay. Okay. And that's the one you've been using since high school, right? Or no, I haven't been use... using it since high school. No, no. I used it in high in school. In high school. Okay. 
and then picked it up again at the drugstore a few weeks ago. It's been a while now, early February, I guess, or late January, and started using it again. And I was like, well, by golly, if this doesn't work really well. (laughs) Because I have moved away from drugstore foundation for Mm -hmm. a while now. My skin is finicky. I have very fair, sensitive skin. And so I had moved into higher-end department store brands mostly honestly, in college and have stayed that way. And I'll still try, you know, new things occasionally, but most of the time I stick to um, brands that I love. I love NARS, MAC. Um, I have lots of different foundation brands that I like. Bare Minerals, I've tried lots of things, but I have not gone back to the drugstore brands, particularly for foundation, in a long, long time. My skin when I was younger, like most of us, I could just slap any old thing on it. Oh, sure, And yeah. it looked fine. Totally. Yes. Not so much these days. Nope. <laughs> I have a lot more steps that I need to do. I have to moisturize and, you know, toner and concealer and all the things. So the combo that I've been using that I love, both drugstore finds actually, which is notable, is the L'Oreal Magic Lumi Light Infusing Primer. Oh, wow. That. That sounds kind of intense. <laughs> it, the name is intense. As I'm saying it, I'm really realizing what a mouthful that is. Do you use primer? I don't use primer at all. I'm telling you, once I found that Aveeno BB cream that I love so much, I just was like, everybody else is out. So I have, I, for me, I don't even need a primer when I use the BB cream. That's because you have good skin naturally. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for that. But tell me about the primer. So I used primer a few years ago. It didn't work for me. I felt like it was making my skin oilier instead of, you know, making the foundation last longer. Right, right. And then I realized I was using way too much of it. You really only need a little dot size, you know, like half the size of a penny type of thing, less than that even. Gotcha. For primer, just a little bit. So when I discovered that, I have some other primer brands I like. I like Smashbox Primer. Too Faced has a good primer. But this was on a friend that I saw when I was traveling. And I was like, your skin looks so amazing. Tell me everything. And she was like, I'll just tell you the main thing. And it was this, this L'Oreal Magic Lumi primer. And so I went and bought it immediately, of course. And it is. It's great. It's kind of a thin, it looks white, but it doesn't go on your skin white. It rubs right in. You put a primer on no matter what you're using and then let it sit. Let it kind of soak in for a few minutes while you do something else, brush your hair or whatever. And then you apply the foundation over it. And I think that with a primer, you need less foundation. Okay. So you're saving money and not looking as cakey. Yes. Even though you're doing two steps now. Um, And it just makes everything go on smoothly and it does make it stay. And to me, the combination of this Magic Lumi primer and the Revlon Color Stay is just, it lasts me all day, like 12 hours, just like it says that it's going to. The Revlon Color Stay, if you haven't ever tried it, but it has been around forever, is just a great foundation. It's just a really good coverage. It's not too heavy. It's not watery. It's a really, really good drugstore option. That's so great. You know, I've never used any Revlon products really, except for their lipstick. I love Revlon Colorstay lipstick. It's one of my very favorites. So I might have to just experiment a little and branch out. We'll see. Well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you need it because this is kind of a more made up look than your 
yeah. daily BB cream right, right. routine. But it's not it's not so made up that it's you know, it doesn't look like, wow, she's really going somewhere. <laughs> Most days when I do actually put on any kind of full makeup, my kids are like, where are we going? What's happening? <laughs> They're very confused, I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, well, we will put links to both of those in the show notes in case you all want to go out and check those out as well. I always love a good makeup tip from you. You have given me some of the best through the years. So awesome. Well, thank you. Tell us what you're finding awesome. Okay. My Awesome of the Week is a podcast, and the name of this podcast is Sleep With Me. Ooh. I know. (laughs) Megan getting racy. I know. It sounds like it might be a grown-up kind of podcast, but it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a really funny title for a really great and actually really helpful podcast. I had not heard of this podcast until it was mentioned on Gimlet's new show, Sampler, which is a podcast about podcasts where Brittany Luce goes in and kind of just samples different podcast episodes and kind of gives you the heads up on what's great for listening in podcast land. This was on one of the earliest episodes. I'd never heard of it. The idea behind Sleep With Me is there's a man who hosts the show. He goes by the name Dearest Scooter. And Laura, he just tells stories. He just talks into a microphone. He just tells stories. And there is something about the tone and pacing of his voice that helps you go to sleep. I have to tell you, I was highly skeptical of this whole scenario when I first heard about it. In fact, I just kind of filed it away. So that's interesting. Probably wouldn't work for me, but whatever. And then I hadn't thought about it again. But, and I don't usually have problems going to sleep. In fact, I almost always am asleep like five minutes after my head hits the pillow. I'm so tired. I never have problems falling asleep. However, From the time I had children on up until now, as you know, in the life of a parent, there's often middle of the night wake-ups. Yes. Even when your youngest children are three, there's still somebody, it seems like there's always somebody popping up in the middle of the night. They had a bad dream, they're sick, whatever. So for me, it's not falling asleep that is, is the problem. It's going back to sleep once I have been awakened. That has been a huge problem for me for a long time. Well, mm-hmm. the twins went through a little phase a couple of weeks ago where, you know, they were kind of alternating back and forth. It's always somebody uh, waking up. And one night I just could not go back to sleep. And I thought, I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that Sleep With Me podcast. I mean, I'm so skeptical, but can't hurt, might help. So I looked it up and... I I went into it feeling like how I feel about hypnotism. (laughs) Like, do you remember when you were in college at parties or mixers or whatever, did y'all ever have a hypnotist come in and like hypnotize a few of the people that were there? Anything like that? Like entertainment at a sorority party or anything? No, I did not. That sounds so scary. (laughs) Well, we had those. There wasn't much to do in my college town, so... (laughs) We, on a couple of occasions, hired a hypnotist who would come in and he'd take like three or four volunteers, put them on stage, do the whole thing. They would do silly things or whatever. And then that was it. And I was always like, that's great for other people, but that would never work for me. I just couldn't imagine it ever working for me. I felt the same way about the Sleep With Me podcast. So I turned it on for the first time and I was like, huh, this is interesting. He does have a really, it's, it's not... I don't know how to describe it because when you first start listening, you're like, I don't get what the deal is. But he starts telling these stories that are sometimes really off the wall. And then 
the, the next thing I knew, I was kind of like, I kind of startled awake and I was like, oh my gosh, I fell asleep. <laughs> I was so surprised, Laura. I could not believe that it actually had worked. So I kind of realized that I'd fallen asleep and then I started listening to his story again. And I woke up like hours later still with my earbuds in because I had completely conked out listening to his voice. Well, what, is there like a trickery to it? Like, is he hypnotizing you in some way? Or is he just like one of those guys that has a good voice and people are like, you should be on the radio? I think that's it. I don't, I don't think he's hypnotizing me through the airwaves. (laughs) Although I don't know, because it was truly, I cannot even tell you how much of, how much I was like, this is not going to work. And then it totally worked. And so I don't know if it's the actual, like, pitch or timbre of his voice. I don't know if it has to do with the stories he tells or just like a magical uh, blend of all of those things. But I've used it a couple of times since then. And I have to tell you, if you need a little solution, something to kind of lull you into that sleepy feeling, maybe check out the Sleep With Me podcast because it's it's been working like magic for me. And I could not be more surprised about that. Wow. All right. Yeah. Charge up your phone before bed. Make sure. And there you go. <laughs> so that was my awesome of the week. Now, like I said, we have got some questions and answers that Laura and I are going to be dishing about today. So the last time Laura and I were together was episode 47 of Sorta Awesome. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. Her husband, Jeff Tremaine, came on and they together talked about all kinds of things about the entertainment industry. Well, before we recorded that show, we had asked for questions from you all. We had quite a few that we still wanted to get to, including one about beauty culture and what it is like to live in Los Angeles if there is a lot of emphasis on the outward appearance. Does everyone Botox? Does everyone get boob jobs? Like, what is it like actually living in Los Angeles when it comes to the culture of beauty there? So, Laura, I thought I would let you tackle that one first. I know it's the stereotype in Los Angeles that everyone has way too much plastic surgery and way too much spray tan and makeup and hair extensions and all the things. And I know I know that people think that about LA, but I truly do not think that the majority of LA women are more that way than they are in certain other metropolitan areas of the U.S., like Dallas, for instance, Atlanta, or the whole of the South. I have tons of friends in the South who are equally, if not more, paying attention to their appearance. That's so <laughs> And be that plastic surgery or just lots of makeup or whatever. I know that someone on the same thread said that in Utah, she has noticed it as well. So I I don't think it's as Los Angeles specific maybe as much as it used to be. Maybe that kind of trend started here with the plastic surgery. Um, Orange County is sort of a big stereotype for that. If anybody watches like Real Housewives of Orange County, they're very blow-up doll looking. Uh And that is not what you see in L.A. proper as much. Okay. Um, Orange County is a big area, hundreds of miles area between Los Angeles and San Diego. And if you watch like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, they also, they have a different look, but it's also a very sort of overdone look. And that is not how my friends and I look in LA at all. You can find that if you go to certain parts of Beverly Hills or 
I don't know, possibly Malibu. There's there's pockets of that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist or that the stereotype isn't there for a reason, but it's not the whole city at all. And, um, you know, I do think that people are less secretive maybe about what they have had done or are doing. People talk kind of freely about what they're doing to their face. <laughs> right, right. Whereas in other parts of the country, people might be more discreet about it or like not even want to admit that they've yes, had any Yes, in other parts done. of the country, I feel like there's more of an effort to pretend it's natural. Right. <laughs> Here, there's not so much natural pretense. But I, I just don't find LA to be more vain than other places. Someone asked you know, if if they would feel insecure coming to visit L.A. or something because everyone would be beautiful. It is sort of a land of the pretty people. I'm not going to lie about that. There's a lot of pretty people here, a lot, a lot. But I don't think that in my regular life I have to have on a full face to leave the house. I frequently drop my kids off and pick them up from school in three-day-old sweats and my hair in a bun. Like, that's not a big deal. And there's, you know women at our school who look the opposite of that, but neither one of us feel weird, I guess gotcha. is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's more just like what your personal preference is, as opposed to like, I have to put on all this makeup, or I have to have this work done, because that's just what you do here. Right. No, it's not that. And and this is a misconception that I think if you've never been here, or if you've only visited and seen the surface of it, my favorite thing about Los Angeles is that you can just be you. Yeah, yeah. It is people come here, people gravitate here to reinvent themselves. Mm. And maybe that's because they want to have a spray tan and a boob job 365. And maybe that's because they want to be like total hippies and change their name and, you know, do yoga all the time. Either one of those things go here and we're like, that's cool. Do your thing, dude. Excellent. So much more live and let live than I would have thought Los Angeles would be. So that's great. Well, another question that everybody is always wanting to have you answer when it comes to living in Los Angeles. I've heard variations of these questions come out in all kinds of conversations with you through the years. So it has to do with the fact that in Los Angeles, there's a higher concentration of celebrities than you might see walking around on the streets of, let's say, Oklahoma City. So people love to hear, like, do you just bump into celebrities when you're out and about, when you're at Trader <laughs> Joe's? And with that, because there are more celebrities in Los Angeles, what about the paparazzi? Do you, the, the, the scenes that we kind of see with paparazzi chasing down uh, really like mega famous people or popping out from behind bushes or hanging out in front of well-known restaurants. I mean, how much is that a part of your day-to-day -day reality? Okay, deep breath. <laughs> the celebrity questions are really awkward to answer because it feels like there's sort of this unwritten Los Angeles code of not really acknowledging celebrity so talking about it or writing about it always makes me feel like I'm breaking the rules um, because we live in this sort of strange gray area here where people, celebrities, want to be able to live, quote unquote, normally and safely in their own neighborhoods. And so most of us who are not celebrities, you know, most of us take the time to respect that at stores and restaurants and stuff. We let them be normal. 
But then LA is also the hub of things like paparazzi and yeah. car chases and stuff. So that's the opposite of safe and normal. But I'll just state the obvious that the word celebrity is a broad term. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. That's accurate. So there are lots and lots of people who fall under the celebrity umbrella. So actors or musicians or reality stars. Um, so because it's LA where most of the entertainment industry shoots or, or works, then they're here. They're among us. They eat, they shop, they take their kids to school. <laughs> right. Um, so they're around. Yes. To answer that. Yes. You can easily see them at a restaurant or, you know, at the mall or anything like that. But depending on who they are, and it's not always who you expect actually, but depending on who they are, the paparazzi are also around. But most of the time, paparazzi are hanging out at places that that a normal Angelino would not be on a regular basis. So if you go to like a hot new restaurant or club or something like that, there will be, you know, dozens of men outside with cameras ready to take pictures because those are places that celebrities purposefully go to be seen. Aha. Uh-huh. So at my neighborhood restaurants and whatever there no there is no paparazzi here unless there's someone really big there paparazzi follow the people whose pictures sell so that they're not necessarily following the most talented actor that you know which is why sometimes you know a-list people are not in the tabloids they're following the people whose pictures sell well or who have their children with them because children pictures sell well or Yeah. Who are in the middle of something scandalous, a divorce or, you know, something newsworthy. Those pictures are going to sell at that moment. So there's very few people, like relatively speaking to L.A., there's very few people that the paparazzi like camp out at their house and follow all day, every day. Like Kim Kardashian, Britney Spears, like those people, they don't live in my neighborhood. They do not live in Hollywood. Um, Both of those People And actually a lot of the very heavily followed celebrities live far out because they'll live in a gated neighborhood. They'll live somewhere with more security. I live in a normal, normal neighborhood. Right. So I do not see that type of circus hardly ever, like a paparazzi. Like almost never do I see that. I, I only see them outside of a restaurant or something like that. It's totally common to see actors, especially TV actors, just out and about in our neighborhood. I think it's fun to see them. I think it's exciting. It never gets old. Someone was saying in the hangout group that they would just geek out if they saw anyone. Yeah, yeah. We actually had a lot of questions about that. Like, if for those of us who are just regular old civilians living our regular lives, like, how, how do you react? How should we react whenever our paths may cross with somebody really well known, somebody who is easily recognizable as a celebrity? Um, I get excited. I usually sort of smile to myself and then maybe I'll like text a friend or my sister or something that I just saw so-and-so. One time I did put on Facebook that I was at the grocery store right by my house and almost wrecked my cart because I saw the vice president from Scandal. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) She also played Ellis Gray on Grey's Anatomy. Her name's Kate Burton. And it was a Sunday morning. She was in her ponytail picking up bananas. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was in the middle of a scandal binge and I was like, oh my gosh, oh, I had to stop. I had to like exit the aisle. I had to leave because I, you know, I was like, there is the vice president. <laughs> so, so did you say anything? I guess the etiquette would be, I would never have approached her ever. Okay. Ever. Okay. That's what I'm wondering. What is the etiquette? Should you, because we, not in Oklahoma City, although sometimes you never know who's going to show up here, but we were in Branson once and saw a very easily recognizable country music uh, musician. And we were all, and my whole family was there. We were debating back and forth, like, should we approach or should we not? And I think people would love to hear from somebody who lives in that day-to-day reality. Like, what is the actual etiquette there? The actual etiquette is not to approach if they're living their regular life. At the grocery store, at a restaurant. Now, people still will, lots of times tourists, Mm. will still be the type of person who will walk up. There really is kind of an unspoken thing here that where we don't pretend there's a celebrity in the room. I mean, even at private parties, there'll be somebody there and we're all just pretending, no, it's no big deal that a person that we all know is in a blockbuster movie right now is right over there. We just all pretend. So that's sort of the typical etiquette. You you really shouldn't approach them if they're doing their regular life. On the other hand, if the opportunity comes up for whatever reason, one time uh, one of my best friends physically bumped into her favorite singer, like phys- like it was an accident, like they physically bumped into each other. And then she acknowledged and was like, oh, hey, and said, you know, I'm a big fan. And the moment passed and it was fine. Yeah, yeah. And then if you were to be in in a natural conversation with them, it is okay to say, I really, you know, admire your work. I loved this movie, whatever. I had to learn this. When I first moved to LA, I was sort of told that the general etiquette is to leave celebrities alone, do not acknowledge to them that that you're a fan or that they're famous or, you know, do not fan out in general. And Jeff, my husband, when we were dating, is the one who sort of taught me, like, look, people love to hear that their work matters. Yeah. So if it comes up, if you're in conversation with them or the opportunity presents itself, if you're not interrupting their family time, you know, if they're not going to be embarrassed because they clearly have no makeup on and are just running a quick errand, whatever. If the opportunity arises that is natural, it's totally appropriate and nice to tell someone that you really appreciate what they do, that you like what they do, um, that it has meant something to you or that you just think it's funny or whatever it is. It's totally appropriate in a normal, not crazy way. Don't follow it up by asking for a favor. Um, oh, that's or so anything like that. Yeah, I'm sure that happens, but my gosh, I just can't imagine. No, it happens. You would be surprised at what happens, at what people say to celebrities. I think that people feel like They know the celebrity. They feel like the celebrity owes them something. That could be a whole show into itself of the complicated relationship. But yeah, I think it's, it's appropriate to fan out if the setting is appropriate. If you've gone to a book signing or a PR event or something where it's totally appropriate to tell a person that you admire them or to take a picture with them or whatever, that kind of thing. But in general, if you run into one in the wild, <laughs> maybe just keep it moving. Maybe give them a little smile, like, hey, I see you. Yay. Yes. <laughs> and then go on with your life so they can go and on let with them theirs. Go, let them go on with their life and you go on with theirs. This is just my opinion. 
I am not a celebrity, but I've lived here for a long time and I've seen celeb interactions go wrong. <laughs> and I, but I've seen them also be very lovely and appropriate too. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for filling us in a little bit more on what life in Los Angeles is like. Well, Laura reached out to her Instagram community. She's Hollywood H Wife on Instagram and asked for some questions that we could talk about on this episode. We have a few of those we've selected. We're going to get to those when we come back after this quick break from our sponsor. I asked Jen Hoffman of HealthyMoving.com to tell us more about her mission to help people discover the awesome benefits of consistent movement throughout the day. Today, I'll start by sharing one of the most important changes in perspective that I learned from the Healthy Moving Program. That was one of the most really actually exhilarating parts of your program for me after I had the twins. There was just such a pervasive sense of disconnect from my body because it had been through so much and it was hurting. And so when you helped me, even just with starting with alignment and listening to how my body responded, that was really the beginning of a lot of healing for me, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, that reconnection point. Does that make sense? Absolutely. We look at our body kind of as an object. I mean, so much of our cultural messaging is that the body is an object. We're focused on solely its appearance, that when it's giving us a message that kind of furthers this disconnect that we have between our body as this object and our body is this amazing resource, it causes this inability to see the messages as a genuine like signal instead of a failure instead of us saying oh it's asking for something it's just it's pinging me like letting me know hey it needs this thing it's so funny because we would never be mad at our body for being hungry we would never say what you need to eat three times a day you're ridiculous that's crazy (laughs) we we understand that the body needs food but we we don't have that same level of compassion toward our body when what it's asking for is either rest or movement If you are ready to listen to what your body is telling you that it needs, go to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome or text sorta awesome to 33444 where Jen has a free offer and more information waiting just for you. Okay, we're back. And like I said before the break, we have some questions from you all, specifically from Laura's Instagram community about... A couple of things that just have to do with life and how it has unfolded for us, some of the choices we've made, some of the changes that we've made, and we're going to dig right into those right now. The first question is from Elle Nail on Instagram. I happen to know that her name is Laura also. A really great question for both of us. She said, I feel like I've heard both of you talk about how much more settled into your skin you became in your 30s. She wondered, how were you different as younger women? Were you more self-conscious or more approval-seeking? In what ways have you changed, and how did life experiences cause you to grow? Which, that's a really great question. I love it. It's deep. It is deep. It is. So I will share a few things for me, because, Laura, in a few short months, I'm turning 39. Like, my 30s are, they're they're almost behind me. (laughs) Which is I know, I feel like we just started. What happened? I know. 
I was actually thinking about this this morning. Like, I cannot, I feel like I just turned 30 and I am knocking on the door of 39 now. So, um, also, I just want to emphasize here that I'm way, way younger than you. <laughs> totally, yes. <laughs> years and years younger. Way on back there. Go on. Yes. Um, so I was thinking about this. In my 20s, I think that the biggest difference, the biggest way I've changed from then to now is I went into my 20s and, and probably spent most of my 20s really black and white thinker. Like I, I believed that I knew the right way or the right thing about all kinds of things. Like I believed that my opinions were pretty well fact and that there was a right way to do things and that I was practicing the right way, you know, and lots of things. I think a lot of this came from my faith background, from the church denomination I grew up in. I grew up Baptist in Oklahoma. And while there is not really a outright approach to this, probably anymore. When I was growing up, this was in the 80s and, and into the 90s, um, there was kind of a prevailing unspoken thing that we sort of had the corner on, well, this is what Jesus really meant. <laughs> and so I carried a lot of that into my 20s. I just did not find a lot of gray areas in life. Things were either this way or they were that way. And, um, you know, that's actually really cognitively normal. Science shows us that the human brain really does not reach its full maturity until you're in your mid-20s. So it's totally cognitively appropriate for your brain to still be growing as you move into your 20s. I mean, in terms of your like your personality and how it expresses itself, your views on the world, all of that stuff is very shifting into your 20s. So, so yeah, I think that that, I mean, I've never been one to, I've not really carried a lot of insecurities through life. That was not a big plight of my 20s. Um, probably I, I could have done well with more humility, honestly, <laughs> in terms of just like accepting that other people may have different and even um, more accurate views on life than I did. So as I moved through my 20s, though, one thing that changed is I really began to listen to people's stories. It is through the stories of my friends and coworkers, other people in our community, hearing other people's stories, hearing other people's perspectives. That was sort of the thing that unlocked for me a change in life that allowed me as I moved into my 30s then to begin to kind of like chill out, I guess, and to recognize that the things that I had always believed and always had been taught to be true and and felt really solid and like this is the only truth, a lot of that began to kind of, um, well, I just, I let loose of my grip on the rightness of it all. Does that make sense? Total sense. So in my 30s, I began to apply some of that to my own life. And like, I, I feel like in my 30s, I made space for myself to grow and change. And as I made that space for myself, I found it easier to make space for accepting and embracing the differences in other people. And that allowed me to find those gray areas where I didn't feel like I was just practicing tolerance for people that were different from me in, in a variety of ways, whether it was, you know, spiritual background or belief about family and home life or you know, a variety of things. When I created space for myself to explore and kind of figure out how life is meant to look, I had so much more grace for other people. And so how that translated for me in my 30s is I have become and I am working on becoming 
less concerned about how people respond to my difference of opinion with them. So whereas in sort of in my early 30s, and and really probably on into my mid 30s, I would never have pushed back on something that I didn't agree with. I would never have put something out into the world that was intentionally going to rock the boat. Um, So I guess I did have some approval seeking stuff going on in my 20s, maybe more than I realized. As I've moved into my later 30s, I genuinely, genuinely have become so much more comfortable with pushing back on things and with expressing opinions that are contrary to what other people that maybe that I love and respect and admire believe and not being so tangled up in what their response is to that. So I think that's actually a huge part of the the journey through my 30s for me is letting go of other people's responses and reactions to me and just embracing um, where I am in, in this journey of life and, and trusting that other people are going to extend me the same grace and, and having better boundaries. I have so much better boundaries now that I am in my 30s and on into my late 30s, having better boundaries that allow me to know when it's time to disengage from a conversation, you know, maybe put the cooler on a relationship if it needs to be cooled out and recognizing the things and the people that are the healthiest that I can spend my time and energy on. So that's kind of my diatribe about my 30s. Laura, let's hear from you. That was very good. Thanks. Thanks. I can't wait. To I have on. some similar themes. I grew up and into teenagerdom and early 20s, very confident, perhaps overconfident. I had the type of parents who told me that I was the prettiest one, the smartest one, the best one, and I believed them. (laughs) And then I moved to Los Angeles (laughs) (laughs) and had, you know, a lot of rude awakenings. My 20s, I've written, talked about a lot, were really important to me. My early 20s, I went through a really difficult heartbreak that kind of remapped my soul. It really changed everything. And it was happening at the same time that I moved to LA. And so that year, I have like one year in my life that basically all routes within me were rerouted. So from that time on, then I I did suffer these sort of years in my middle 20s where I went from knowing everything and feeling very confident to being the opposite and being like, I don't know anything ever about anything. Yeah, yeah. And just went through years of, it wasn't flailing because it was super fun. That was actually a great time in my life. I was having a blast, but I was also very much like experiencing insecurities and a total loss of control of anything. Like I really was like, I don't, I really swung too far to the side of thinking that I actually don't have any control over my life. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, my husband and I then started a relationship and and we moved towards marriage. And and as things towards my late 20s sort of settled into and, you know, I got into more of a place of back to where I started, you know, not that there wasn't still a lot of work to do there, but I had, you know, more contentment than I had had. Then... I became a mom at 30. And so a few things happened, you know, in my 30s and continue to happen that just are teaching me over and over that life changes and we can let it. Yeah. 
it took me a long time to learn that. I mean, I'm still learning that because part of what holds me back is that I grip hard to things. If I find something that works for me, I just hold on for dear life. (laughs) Right. Like it's going to work forever. Yes. (laughs) It is really hard for me to understand that, that things can change. And so, you know, when I moved to California, I really gripped hard to my Oklahoma roots and I was, I was always going to be the girl from Oklahoma. And then I gripped hard to how I wanted Jeff and our life to look, you know, I gripped hard to certain friendships when, when maybe we had outgrown each other, but dadgummit, I was not going to let that thing change. I gripped hard, really hard to some political beliefs (laughs) that had, that had been part of my whole life, you know, and, and religious too, although I did most of that in my twenties, but I, it was, it's really been really hard for me to loosen my grip and to let life change. And then when you have kids, it's almost like you have to because you're like, well, I don't even, my grip doesn't even have a choice. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So true. Because this kid is going to be who he or she is. And one of us better adapt fast. (laughs) (laughs) So, so true. Yeah. And all of those things in my early marriage, my, um, husband made a couple of movies back to back. And so he was traveling a lot. And I was like, wait, this is not what I thought was going to happen. Even though I don't know what I thought was going to happen. That actually wasn't a new thing. It was just me getting used to it. Yes. It was like how I had, you know, I even named my blog on my online life, Hollywood housewife sort of as a joke. But then I was like, wait, no, hold on a minute. Like this is happening actually. (laughs) Yep. As it turns out, I actually am one. (laughs) Joke's on me. (laughs) So then that required a little bit of loosening to be like, oh, wait, this isn't kind of what I pictured, but this is what's happening and I need to get on board. So it's sort of, I would say, in my 30s as I've sort of settled into, and I think I'm on the front side of settling into it. The first half of my 30s were still a struggle. Yeah, yeah, me too, for sure. So I'm in the front half of being like, okay, this is where we're going. And finally accepting that we had some loss in our life. We lost a dear, dear, dear friend. We lost a family member, like different things that make you realize like life changes, whether you want it to or not. And, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes sad and hard things do have to happen for you to realize that your control is just an illusion anyway. Right. I think that is a really big part of the whole settling into your skin thing is I think we spend so much of our early life struggling and just trying to find that control thing. I do think as you get older, life just teaches you over and over and over again, like you're not actually in control of this thing. So we went deep after our yeah Los Angeles talk. <laughs> We did. Well, this one is not quite so deep. It's more practical application stuff in life. We had a couple of questions. Little Leaf Ash on Instagram asked, how did you decide whether to live near your family or far away? Living far away, what do you do to try to foster relationships between your kids and their grandparents? And then along those same lines, Candace M. Bullard on Instagram 
said living far away from family with no built-in babysitters in the form of grandparents or aunts and uncles, how do you manage to get away from your kids? <laughs> do you just pay someone all the time to stay with them? And also, how do you find someone to, that you can trust to stay overnight with them? Just a little context for those of you who are listening. Both Laura and I live far away from our families of origin um, in different ways and in different circumstances. Um, Laura, you intentionally kind of packed up and moved away from Oklahoma, lived, moved to Los Angeles and have been living there for a long time now. Our situation is a little bit different in that we tried to live close to family. In fact, one of the reasons Kyle and I left coaching or Kyle left coaching back in 2008 is because coaching, he was a college football coach. Coaching is hard on family life for sure. But what people don't think about a lot too, is that it's, it's hard on your extended family life because there's a lot of moving and a lot of living away from family. So we, after we'd had our older daughters, we realized that we were like hours and hours and hours away from our grandparents. And we knew if we stayed in coaching, that was never going to change. So we thought, well, okay, we'll just get out of the coaching industry and move to something that's more stable. We can just plant our roots in Oklahoma. And then a few years after that, about four years ago now, my parents, my dad had retired from practicing dentistry for decades. My parents decided to pack up and kind of follow their dreams in retirement. They had always wanted to live in the deep South. They had been fascinated with and just just loved everything about the South and Southern culture for many years. And so after my dad retired, they packed up and moved to Mississippi. So now they live hours and hours away. And so we're away from my parents, but in a different circumstance from you. So Laura, let's go back to Little Leaf Ash's question. Like what kind of factors went into this decision of whether or not to stay close to family, to move far away? And then what does what does that grandparent relationship look like now that you have kids? Well, I didn't ever plan to purposely live far away from my family. I moved out here for a few years thinking that it would just be fun. And then I'd move back home to Oklahoma and have a family and and be normal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's not what happened. And so it was never an option for my husband, Jeff, to move anywhere else at the time we got married. So we are having a family here in Los Angeles. And for his work, that's really our only choice, at least for the moment. And we are really lucky. Both of our parents are all living, are still married, and are really involved with all their grandkids. Yes. So I can't, you know, say enough about how lucky we are in that sense. It is hard to live far away from them, especially in the baby years, but they're pretty involved. My parents both come out to LA several times a year. We go home to Oklahoma several times a year. Jeff's parents have retired to Georgia. We see them several times a year in multiple places, depending on the family event. But, you know, when they send care packages and my mom is really great at staying with my kids for lengthy amounts of time. So Jeff and I both travel a lot, both separately and together. We have taken my kids and dropped them off in Oklahoma and been like, see ya. But we've also flown my mom out to stay with our kids if needed. So she's flexible that way. She retired a few years ago. So all of that, I mean, it's a good question. I get why she's asking it, but but we're just totally lucky because not everybody has such involved grandparents, especially from far away. And we just do. And then for our daily life, I'm also very transparent 
online and everywhere that from minute one, I have had a nanny to help me with my kids. Yeah. And I want everybody to know that when, when I get these kind of questions, because I don't want anybody to think I'm doing it all on my own ever. I've right. never claimed that. It's just not happened for me. And as far as we found her, we inherited her from, she'd worked with Jeff before, and then she'd been a nanny to our friend's child before. So she was already sort of part of our world. So I didn't ever have to do the interview process. So I, I don't have any advice on that or anything. We've just, all of our situations are just very lucky. And I just want to be like honest about that. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think the fact that like you said, for both of you guys, your parents are still living and they're in great health to the point where they can travel back and forth and you can go out to see them as well. I think that makes a really big difference. For me, we have some differences for sure in that even if my parents lived close and they did, we there was a the, like a window of time when we were all in Oklahoma and the girls were little, but my parents are just not in great health to the point where they could keep my kids ever for the weekend. Now, what, during that same period of time, Kyle's parents happily took um, our kids and were totally on board with keeping our kids, whether it was for overnights. Kyle and I had to travel for business once when Eliza was like 20 months old, I guess, not quite two. So Dicey would have been in the like four and five range. And they were like, sure, yeah, just leave them. We'll have a great time. And we loved it. It was so fantastic. But then a couple of years ago, back, well, actually now 2013, Kyle's dad passed away suddenly. And that really changed the dynamic for for us because his mom's health has also gotten worse in that time to where she also just is not up for four kids. Four kids is a lot to hand off to anybody. (laughs) It is a lot of children. It's a lot of kiddos. So we've just kind of had to adjust and accommodate. I will tell you one thing that is has been hard for us in our hearts, not necessarily in the practical application, because honestly, Kyle and I are such homebodies anyway. We always have been. I mean, when we were dating, when we were in college, a date night for us was go to Blockbuster, rent some movies, and hide in his dorm room for a few hours. (laughs) That was a date night. And that has kind of been our thing even till now, like our dates are often Netflix binges and those types of things. So in the practical application, because we're not, we don't really have a travel bug, we're not really needing childcare a lot. But one thing that has kind of, we've had to really fight the bitterness on and the resentment on is we live in a culture in Oklahoma that is very like you have your family around you. So we would run into this with like church events or other social events. People would be like, just drop your kids on off at the grandparents and come on over. We almost all of our friends have at least one parent in town that is hands-on help. And so, and oftentimes it's both sets of grandparents. That's just kind of how Oklahoma is. And so we have had to kind of like really guard against feeling a lot of bitterness and resentment that like, we just can't do that. Like if we are going to go to a thing that needs childcare, we have to start looking a couple of weeks early and book somebody and all of those types of things that go along with finding childcare when you do not have family close by. So um, I guess to go back to Candace's question, Again, I I don't even know if I can really speak to this. We have definitely never hired somebody to stay with our kids overnight. I just, I can't imagine what that process would be like. (laughs) Feels a little overwhelming and stressful to think about. Um, But any other time that we need to have a sitter, we just, you know, kind of how friends do. We just share great babysitter names and numbers all around and, and hire somebody to come over for a few hours if we need to get away. So yeah, that's what it looks like for us. 
I just want to take credit for the fact that I made no jokes about renting movies and going to, back to a dorm. <laughs> it was all very innocent and chaste, Laura, let me assure you. I'm sure it was. <laughs> but I do want to say I understand the resentment that you're saying people just assume that you have it available to you when you don't because we do have someone that we pay, but she's like our family, a nanny that we love and love our children and, and we trust, although she does not really stay overnight with them. She just stays in the afternoons. But my sister has four kids and my brother has three kids and they're all in Oklahoma. In fact, my brother and his wife built a house next door to my parents. Yes, they did. <laughs> so their kids just beat a path back and forth. And I, I don't have resentment about the help aspect of it. I have resentment about the the memories of it. Oh, yeah. Like they ha they make family memories together all the time, just daily. His yes. kids are growing up with their grandparents next door who are magical. And, you know, my parents are magical grandparents in their way. And then, you know, my sister's four kids are super into activities and whatever. And everybody can come, cousins, aunts and uncles. My parents can come to see them cheer at a game or to see them play basketball or whatever. They go to each other's activities as as family, as extended family, and we don't have that. We can't be there for that, and we don't have anyone to be there for ours. Right. So there's there's definitely heartache involved with being far away, even if you have your needs taken care of. It's hard to live away from family when it is available to you. Like, right. it's not like they can't be there. It, sometimes it does feel like a hard choice that we've made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that totally makes sense. And I would didn't even think about it in in terms of your brother and sister and, and all that they get to do with your parents. That does it makes a big difference in just that memory making part of it. Now thankfully we do live in a time where we have amazing technology that I didn't have. I never lived near my grandparents either when I was growing up, never. And so, you know, it was like a weekly phone call was what we got and that's kind of how we stayed connected to them. But my goodness, the options that people have now for sharing those snippets of daily life, whether it is texting a short video or picture of the kids or FaceTiming, Skype, all of these things that allow us to, even if we're not physically close together, to feel a little bit more connected to each other. So it's not exactly the same thing, but I think it's better than what we had when we were growing up. All is not lost. All is not lost. Well, this has been so fun to hear you all's questions. You had so many great questions. We may go back and revisit some of those that we didn't pick up for this show because golly, you guys are good at this stuff. So if you would like to have some follow-up conversations with Laura and I talking about the family thing, living close, living far away, what life in our 30s has taught us, or even some of that running into this a celebrity at the grocery store kind of thing, come find us on social media so we can talk to you more about it over there. Laura, help us remember where we can find you all around the web. I am always at hollywoodhousewife.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, my favorites, at Hollywood H Wife. And I'm also on Facebook at The Hollywood Housewife. Awesome. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can follow the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. And now you can come and talk to us on Facebook on our brand new fan page, facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks for listening and we'll see y'all next time. 
Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffert, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com, where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.